0: another edition of the UK Law Week podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at the case of Enker Insat v. Sinai and OOO Insurance Company Chubb. The citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 38. In this case that we're looking at this week has its origins in the 2016 fire at a Russian power plant. On the 1st of February of that year, ignition fuel leaked from a pipe and came into contact with hot surfaces, Russia's only 800-megawatt supercritical coal-fired plant went up in flames and the blaze took two hours and more than 100 firefighters to bring under control. The appellant in this case, Chubb Insurance, are a Russian company that insured the owner of the plant and paid out on the damage caused by the fire. Once they had paid out, Chubb Insurance assumed the rights of the owner in terms of seeking compensation from third parties and obviously became very interested in why there was a pipe that was leaking ignition fuel. Previously, the owner had contracted with a construction company to carry out work at the plant, and that company itself had subcontracted with a Turkish engineering company called Enker, who are the respondents in this case. The contract with Enka included an agreement that disputes would be determined through arbitration proceedings in London, and so we can begin to see why we are going to be examining a case surrounding a fire that happened years ago in the middle of Russia. In May of last year, Chubb Insurance actually brought their claim against Enka in Russia. Enka responded by bringing its own arbitration claim to the High Court in London and arguing that Chubb had breached the arbitration agreement by pursuing its claim in Russia. As such, Enker sought an anti-suit injunction that would basically prevent Chubb from continuing with their Russian proceedings. Originally, the High Court dismissed Enker's claim and held that Russia was actually the appropriate forum. The Court of Appeal then overturned this and found that the arbitration agreement was governed by English law, and so an anti-suit injunction should be issued. Chubb now appeals against that decision to the Supreme Court, and so that is where we pick things up. The first step is to look at what the common law tells us about this sort of jurisdiction issue. In the first instance, the law that is applicable to any arbitration agreement is that which is chosen, either expressly or by implication, by the parties themselves. However, when no such choice exists, things can get a bit complicated as the applicable law will be that which is most closely connected to the arbitration agreement. Fortunately, these arbitration agreements are contained within contracts. So there is a general rule that the legal system that applies to the contract will also apply to the arbitration agreement as well. Not only does this make sense, but it also offers a greater degree of consistency and legal certainty. At this point you can sort of see why there is a bit of a problem here. The parties agreed that the arbitration would take place, or to use the proper phrase, be seated, in London but it wasn't clear whether that meant it was right to use English law. For the Court of Appeal, it was held that this created a strong presumption that if the arbitration was seated in London, then it was English law that was to be used. However, the majority of the Supreme Court decided that it was going too far to say that there was a strong presumption in these circumstances. Instead, Section 4, subsection 5 of the Arbitration Act 1996, mitigates against such a general inference. So when there isn't a legal system that has been chosen by the parties to govern the arbitration agreement, and there is no help from looking at the contract as a whole, it becomes up to the courts to make a determination, and as we mentioned earlier on in the episode, this is done by seeing which legal system is most closely connected to the arbitration agreement. What do we mean by closely connected? Well, it is only at this point that the courts will concede that this is the jurisdiction in which the arbitration is seated. Here, the close connection can be justified by the fact that this is the place where the arbitration will be performed, and if the parties chose a location without specifying a jurisdiction, then it seems reasonable to assume that the parties intended for the law that would govern the arbitration to match the seat. Such a conclusion is also easy to arrive at, and therefore offers parties a degree of legal certainty that marries up with international norms. To be honest, all of this is a bit confusing in the way that it seems to overlap, but we can break it down a bit by seeing how the majority of the justices applied this reasoning to the case at hand. They found that there was no choice of law made by the parties to govern either the arbitration agreement or the overarching contract, With that in mind, they had to decide which jurisdiction was most closely connected to the arbitration agreement, and as we just discussed, that translates as the legal system where the arbitration is seated. In these proceedings, the seat is in London, and therefore the arbitration agreement is to be governed by English law. Ultimately, this means that the anti-seat injunction can be granted. The majority did note that in principle, it shouldn't matter where the arbitration agreement is governed, because the inquiry remains exactly the same anywhere in the world. Nevertheless, the wishes of the parties should be respected so far as it is possible to do so. Lord Burroughs and Lord Sales offered a dissenting judgment, and I think that is worth getting into so that it can provide an alternative viewpoint. While they agree that if the parties have chosen the law of the contract, then that is the law that should apply, they disagree on what the approach should be when that choice is neither expressed nor implied. Rather than seeking out the jurisdiction that is most closely connected to the arbitration agreement, they suggest that instead the courts should look for the legal system that is most closely connected to the actual main contract, because it is that contract that contains the arbitration agreement. Beyond that, their approach to the facts of the case were also different because they felt that the parties had agreed by implication to have Russian law govern the interpretation of the contract and thus the arbitration agreement as well. Obviously this conclusion would shed a different light on the anti-suit injunction and so the minority would have referred the question back to the commercial court. For me, the problem with this case is that both sides make strong points and it is easy to see why the justices were only divided by one vote. If the contract appears to be governed by Russian law, then shouldn't that include all aspects of the contract, including the arbitration agreement? On the other hand, why would that same arbitration agreement be seated in London if there wasn't an intention to have it governed by English law? While it may sound like a cop-out, I honestly don't think that one argument sounds significantly more or less reasonable than the other. Perhaps the view of the majority is slightly safer because it accords much more closely with international authorities on the same subject, but that shouldn't be the be-all and end-all. The dissenting minority raise important issues themselves, and it is not impossible to see the law moving further in that direction in the future. Interpreting contracts is all about getting as close as possible to the intention of the parties, but when that isn't available, it isn't surprising to feel like the courts are slightly stabbing around in the dark, just looking for the best fit they can. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to BenSound.com who provide the theme music. If you're interested in the content I produce, whether that's this podcast, my videos, or my free email newsletter, then you can find details on all of that at my website, which is uklawweekly.com. Anyway, I'll be back with another episode next week, but for now, bye!